You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. So you probably all know that uh, today the gentlemen are sitting under Tom Kimber's teaching. And uh, last semester, Tom was my um, lecturer. So they might be getting the real Tom, but we're getting essence of Tom. (laughs) Now, one of the books that I had to read for last semester was Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Many things in that book, but one thing was that he suggested that you invite God to speak to you through your dreams. And I go, that's a bit weird, but okay. And very soon after that, I had a dream that I should read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Old classic. Remember reading it when I was young and thinking, well, that was a bit boring. But anyway, it wasn't a difficult suggestion. So I got a copy of the book and I read it. Got a number of things out of that book. But one thing that really stood out was that Packer said, you know, Psalm 18 is David's testimony. He said, you should read it. You should read it often, and it should be your testimony. And if it's not, why not? I'm like, okay. So you would have noticed that Psalm 18 is a psalm basically of victory. So I've entitled this sermon, Victorious Christian Living. I fed income thought that was a joke, either that or just something Americans did. I really did not think that you apply it to your own life, but... If Psalm 18 is supposed to be my testimony, then it then follows that we should be living a victorious Christian life. So maybe it should be a victorious Christian living for everyone. So how do we live this victorious Christian life according to Psalm 18? The first thing I have said is that you retreat to the protector. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So the first question, I think, to ask when we're living our victorious Christian life is when are we supposed to fight the battle and when are we supposed to just retreat from it? Let's start off with an obvious example. Let's go back to Coles. I know I had Coles in my last sermon. It's a good place. So walk down the lolly aisle and you get to the other end and you have not taken any chocolate, no lollies, no chips, and you go, wow. That's not Victoria's Christian living. That's stupidity. You just, you don't walk down that aisle. And I think a lot of popular culture is actually like that. You know, if if you go to the coffee shop and you spend the entire time tempted to buy a cake that you don't need, just don't go to the coffee shop. You know, there are things, you don't go there. If it's a book that's unhelpful, you don't have to read it. If it's a TV show that's destroying your soul, just turn it off. Sometimes the battle is not to be fought. You just retreat from it. And where do you go? Of course, you go to God's fortress and you spend time resting in him and gaining strength for the battles you are supposed to fight. Um, Now, this quote is normally attributed to General Douglas MacArthur, but apparently it was Major General Oliver Prince Smith 
still in the Korean War, who said, we are not retreating, we are advancing in the opposite direction. Sometimes the retreat is the most strategic thing to do. And what do you do while you're in the fortress? It, it reminds me of, um, you know, in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah's off there by himself in the middle of the wilderness and the angel keeps coming to him and giving him food and drink and saying, eat and drink because the journey is too great for you. It's a time for growing in strength. And yes, reading God's word, praying. I remember in China when uh, we, we were at the English corner at the re registered church and these young people would come and they, some of them just seemed completely devastated by life and, you know, it was a, com a struggle and Mike and I would just want to take them in our arms and comfort them but the Chinese elders would be like, just read your Bible and pray more. And like, oh, man. They were so tough, but it's so true. And when you... I'll get to that later, actually. Let's try this thing again. So trust the rescuer. The next section from Psalm verse 3 to verse 19 is a picture of our very angry Father God rending the heavens and coming down to rescue us. So the next step in our victorious Christian living is what to do when the battle is overwhelming and unavoidable. And it is sometimes. I, uh, let's just look at, so verse 4 and verse 5, very repetitive. The cords of death entangled me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. And again, thinking, you know, Packer's advice, this is not your, your testimony, then it should be. I'm going, when in my life have I felt that snare of death holding me? Actually, for me, I didn't have to think very long because I was very bad at being a teenager. And I, um, these days you just go, ah, oh, you're depressed and send you to a psychologist, which would have been helpful back then. But back then, I know my parents were worried about me, but they didn't know what to do. So I was deeply depressed. And I was in that, that place where the cords of death entangled me because, yeah, that's what I did. I spent my days wondering how I could end it all. Um, and then... Where am I going from there? I guess I wanted to add something else. You know, like, that'll become apparent why later. You know, when you sort of close in on yourself like that. And so I, I was in that place where mum would... And I never said anything, you know. Mum would pick me up from school and go, how was your day? And I would not say a word. And then someone would hug me and I would just be like this, you know. I was completely withdrawn within myself in that time. I just wanted to paint that picture because if you don't see that picture, then you don't see the miracle, okay? Um, but let me go on. So, verse 7, the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. And so when you think of yourself in that dark place, you know, the earth shakes because God is angry about what is happening to you. And, um, you know, 
This all sounds very cause and effect, but we know from David's life that his struggles went on for years. He was a fugitive running from, running from uh, Saul for years. He had these struggles that went on. And I think about my experience. It wasn't an overnight experience, of course not. It went for a couple of years at least. But sometimes, I know you would have heard this metaphor, the, the tapestry metaphor. You stand on one side and all it is is a, a mess of threads. And if you stand on the other side but too close, all it is is a blur. But if you stand back, then you can see, oh, God rending the heavens and coming down because he's angry about what is happening to me. Okay, so retreat to the protector, trust the rescuer, and the next step, train under the coach. So the next long section from 28 to 36, it's about how God trains us for the battle. You know, sometimes actually the battle is not overwhelming. In the midst of it, we might go, this is really hard and I want to be out of it, thanks God. And God may not, in fact, take us out of it. Instead, he may strengthen us for the battle. Um, So this is what to do with life's everyday struggles and crises. You can actually learn, you can actually grow stronger. If you look at verse 34 in particular, he trains my hands for battle, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. How do we learn to bend a bow of bronze? We train and the training hurts. We apparently have Jane Fonda to thank for popularizing no pain, no gain, which is, um, a bit too succinct when it comes to a whole theology of suffering, but it is in fact a start, you know? Sometimes God is training us. And if you're in the midst of struggles, and God doesn't seem to be rescuing you out of it, maybe the question should be, what is God preparing me for? Why am I in this place? It's very hard to see for yourself, but I can look at other people's lives and go, Wow, what is God preparing you for? You're going through such a tough time. So sometimes, if you can, again, step back from the tapestry and just reframe what's happening and ask, what am I learning? What should I be learning? What is God preparing me for? I'll give another example from my life. I was much older at this time, and I was praying... And I, yes, I was in a dark place and I was whinging, having a big whinge to God, basically along the lines of, I'm not doing this, you know, I'm, I'm not coping, I'm failing, um, nobody, nobody knows what I'm going through. But when I said that word, knows, I was immediately reminded of the letters to the churches in Revelation where Jesus again and again says, I know. And I turned there, and I believe this was a word from God. I turned actually to the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. So in chapter 3, verse 8, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And he says, I know. I know how little strength you have, yet you have not disobeyed me, and you have not denied my name. And that spoke so deeply to my heart. It was my encouragement not to be removed from the battle, but to go, 
to keep going. There was an open door before me. There was a way that God had provided. And one, I hadn't failed like I thought I had. I hadn't denied Jesus' name. Yeah, I was weak. Uh, did I say that bit? He said, I know how little strength you have. Mm, that was important. He, he knew. And I just, that day was the day of, of, of going on for the next step. So then the final section of the psalm, from about verse 37. David talks about how God leads him into victory. All right, if this is our testimony, God leads us into victory. If you read through that carefully, all the while it is, you know, I pursued my... Sorry, this is 37. Um, So 37 and 38, I pursued my enemies. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them. But then 39, you armed me with strength for the battle. You made my adversaries bow. You, you did it. You know, so it's that back and forth. We are victorious and we should expect victory because we are not in this battle on our own. God is there arming us for, for arming us, strengthening us, training us, and when the battle is overwhelming, lifting us out of there and rescuing us. And that goes through right to the end. So verse 50, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. So in our journey of, you know, victorious Christian living, it's not supposed to be a joke because God is with us. And uh, if you look back, again, step back from the tapestry, if you look back over your life, you can see that you're not who you were. I'm not who I was, from not saying a word to, well, standing up here. That is a miracle of God. And, you know, I'm perfectly huggable these days. You know, I, <laughs> I'm just not who I was. And if you listen, listen to people's testimonies, it's the same story. They're not who they were because God has been working a victory in their lives. Now, for the astute listener, you'll know that I um, skipped a whole section, the but section, God intervenes according to our righteousness. Let's just go back. Verse 20 says, The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. And then what about verse 23? I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. It's like, well, if all of this is predicated on us being righteous, then actually it's not a victory, it's a defeat. Um, So what is David saying? And this is where people begin to question, well, when did David write this psalm? He can't have written it right at the end of his life after he's raped Bathsheba and murdered Uriah and stuffed up his children with ridiculous parenting. He must have written it at some other time, must have written it earlier. And so they'll... They'll put it earlier. They'll go, well, maybe he wrote it around about 2 Samuel. Let's, let's, uh, if you've got your Bibles or your devices, just turn to 2 Samuel. Let's have a little bit of a look. So maybe he wrote it at 2 Samuel chapter 8. That would be a good time chronologically. I think I'm not following my notes anymore. 
So uh, chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. This is a great time. You look, David defeated the Philistines, verse 2. David also defeated the Moabites, verse 3. Moreover, he fought Habadazah, uh, and then verse 4, captured 1,000 of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, uh, did something terrible to Damascus, he took gold shields. goes on and on, David's victories, and it's well before the Bathsheba stuff. Maybe this is when he wrote his psalm, because then it would make sense. But... You'll notice, if you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. For us, you know, that's why you're turning there. For us, we have the gospel. And the gospel is that we are declared righteous because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we actually need to hold on to that very tightly. Because... This step, pardon me, this step in, in uh, victorious Christian living is what to do with doubt. It's Satan's favourite tactic. Started it with Eve. Did God really say? Well, yes, actually, God really said that we are declared righteous by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you struggle with that at any time, which I expect we all do, because it is such a radical concept. You need to read the New Testament and you need to find the verse that speaks to you and you need to get it deeply into your heart and hold it there because Satan will accuse you and you need to say, yes, God says. So for me, I don't know if it helps anyone else, you've got to find your own, but for me, Colossians 1.22 in the old new living which is out of print so that won't help anyone but it's got this lovely visual where it basically says that I am holy and blameless and I stand in the presence of God without a single fault and then verse 23 says but you must continue to stand firmly in this truth so I have my two witnesses on either side holy and blameless Without a single fault, I stand in the presence of God. So when Satan accuses me of not keeping God's ways, I can say, ah, yes, but God says. So find a verse, take it into your heart. Okay, now are you all there at 2 Samuel 22? So... We don't know chronologically for sure when David wrote this psalm, but we know for sure that somebody under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit placed it here in 2 Samuel 22, right at the end of David's life. And if you want to look at just the chapter before, and we'll see who David is. He's... um, So chapter 21, verse 15. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. He's an old man. He became exhausted. And then um, Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300, blah, blah, blah. Uh, All right, so this tough guy said he would kill David. 
But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. So he's an old man, he's tired, he has to get one of his men to rescue him. This is not a picture of victory. Uh, And then they say, Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. He's an old man, he's exhausted, he needed rescue, and he's been told by his men that he's never going to go out and fight again. And then somebody, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts his psalm of victory here. And I just like... Sorry, do you see that? That this is actually a repeat exactly of Psalm 18. It's preserved in two places. And to me, I like that picture. It's like David stepping back at the end of his life as an old man going, yeah, over there, you see, that is the fortress where we spent so much time in fellowship with God, growing stronger. And, you know, over there, there are the many battles that we fought, and I can see how God strengthened me for the battle. But there, in the middle... That is God rending the heavens and coming down when the battle was overwhelming and pulling us out of there. So this is David's victory psalm, and it should also be our victory psalm. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you see us, that you strengthen us, that you shepherd us, that you shield us. We are grateful that when it is overwhelming, we can trust you to come down and pull us out of there. But Lord, I pray that each day we would, we would see struggles not as, not as the end in themselves, but as the way that you train us and prepare us. Lord God, have mercy on us. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.